Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Jason Meeker, the host of the podcast. I'm also the executive producer of Successful Farming Television on RFD-TV. On today's show, we will be talking to Casey Birchmeyer. She has been working at Successful Farming Magazine for a little less than four years. She is currently the agronomy and conservation editor and wrote some interesting articles in well, she always writes interesting articles, but a couple that we're going to be talking about are in the uh, mid-March and April issues of Successful Farming. We'll be talking about cover crops a little bit, and we'll talk about um, Palmer Amaranth in CRP Acres. So she's been reporting on those issues and on a whole bunch more. So we'll learn more from her when, when we hear from her in just a moment. Before that, I just want to remind you to get in touch with us if you hear something on the show that you like or disagree with or have a comment or question. You can reach out to me by emailing podcast at agriculture.com. You can see more about this episode and previous episodes by going to the website on agriculture.com slash podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason Meeker. So now we're going to go to the interview with Casey Birchmeyer. Joining me today on the Successful Farming Podcast is Casey Birchmeyer. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Jason. Uh, so you are the agronomy and conservation editor for Successful Farming. What exactly does that entail and what like, kind of what topics um, do you mostly write about? Right. So I write a lot about um, how farmers can you know, increase profitability um, through their production practices. So I cover a lot of topics, anything from uh, seed selection to cover crops to weed control, um, just a variety of things on that front. And then I also cover conservation practices. So um, cover crops, again, fall into that uh different tillage systems. Mm -hmm. I've also uh, covered farmers who are putting in um, larger practices like saturated buffer strips and wetlands. That's why I really enjoy going out and talking with those farmers and interviewing them because they really are um, sometimes taking out quite a bit of land and they're making a a long-term investment or, um, you know, they're concerned about nitrates and how uh, they might um, impact the environment. So, you know, that's where they're putting in these different saturated buffers and um, bioreactors. So let's, let's go back a little bit. How do you, how do you know about the stuff that you report on? Like what's your background? Um, Yeah, well, I grew up on a farm in central Iowa uh, near Maxwell. My family is a fourth-generation farm. They grow corn, soybeans, and they have cattle. And so, like I said, it's been in my family um, for quite a few generations. And I have two brothers who are part of the operation now as well. Excellent. And so then um, you grew up on the farm, grew up in a small rural town and, and, uh, you know, you, that was kind of your, 
Yeah, that's how I got interested in it. You know, I was surrounded by it. And to be honest, I took it a little for granted just mm-hmm. that everyone really appreciated agriculture. And then I uh, went to college and realized that quite a few people are removed from the farm. And I really decided that I wanted to get into um, ag communications. Okay. And I actually graduated from Iowa State okay. University with uh, a degree in journalism. But I had an internship at the Iowa Soybean Association through college, and that was really great because I was working with farmers on their farm as they were doing research, and I saw just really how much they cared about um, getting things right, and I thought it was important to share that message and to help farmers um, you know, get the most mm-hmm. um, relevant information. Yeah. So what projects specifically did you work on with the ISA? I I was on their research team at the time. And so they they worked with um, all sorts of different things, everything um, from planting uh, rate trials to nitrogen applications. And so I would um, work with the team and we would write up articles. And so that's when I decided that I really liked writing Mm -hmm. um, for the farm industry. For, For agriculture. Yeah. Great. Um, so you, I, I was looking through the, uh, what is this, the mid, mid-March issue, and um, you had a really interesting story about uh, Palmer amaranth in, in uh, CRP acres. Could you kind of give us a, a synopsis of that story, of how you, how you heard about it, this situation, and um, kind of give us a, a Yeah, little... so Gil Gullickson... And I were working on uh, this mid-March issue, which is our um, our weed guide. And so we like to just keep the farmers in the know on what they can expect with weeds. And mm-hmm. uh, Palmer amaranth really seems to be uh, the thing that's on top of everyone's minds. And if you've been following the news, you'll know that they have found Palmer amaranth last year in CRP acres. And mm-hmm. so what happened is the seed was um, brought in accidentally um, through these seed mixes and, you know, not known to the farmers, they accidentally planted the seed. So we, um, tried to get in touch with a a farmer who had this happen, who'd go on the record Mm -hmm. and talk to us about this and just no, nobody wants to, and you can't really blame them. It's kind of, it's a touchy subject at the moment. So I was able to talk to one farmer who was uh, willing, um, to let us write about his story. He just didn't want to be named. Mm -hmm. So, and and his story is, it's pretty wild. So he had, um, 120 acre piece of land that he wanted to, uh, enroll in CRP. And so he hired a conservationist to plant, um, a mix, uh, a variety of things, really. So there were a lot of grasses. He had a food plot um, for wildlife, and he had um, a waterway already in this area, and then he also had a, a pollinator plot. And so it turns out the pollinator plot was the culprit here. Oh, okay. The pollinator plot was eight acres out of the entire 120 okay. acres that was enrolled in the CRP. And so the um, the company that provided the seed had to um, outsource it, not from, it wasn't local seed. And so that's where it was contaminated. Why is, uh, why are conservation areas um, so vulnerable to, to Palmer amaranth? Well, they have, um, from what I understand, they have just a lot of different um, 
types of seed mixes in there. There's a lot of variety. And the Palmer amaranth seed is just tiny. You can't pick it out of these seed mixes. And so even if guys are having their seed tested, the odds of um, pulling a sample that has that in there, it's just going to be nearly impossible. So in in this story, um, he talked about, the farmer talked about uh, mowing and how that kind of made it worse because in two for two reasons one is made it harder for him to identify and then it also spread the seed a lot more so talk talk about what right so just um to help take care of his um his crp part of what he was going to be doing was mowing he didn't want it to be an eyesore for the neighbors okay. so he mowed quite a few times throughout the summer and he'd heard a few people um, mentioned that this uh, Palmer amaranth had been found in some CRP acres, so he was really keeping an eye out for it. And, he, you know, he kept looking. He didn't see anything. Mm-hmm. And as he was mowing and uh, kept hearing more rumblings of it, so he started um, scouting a little bit closer, and he realized what he'd been doing was mowing down these Palmer amaranth plants. And instead of growing, you know, really tall, like Palmer Amaranth will, it branched out. And so because he mowed it multiple times, you know, it's running uh, along horizontally. Oh, wow. So it blends in with yep. everything else. Yeah. And he showed me pictures of it and he's like, can, can you spot the plant here? And, you know, it took a while to, to see where it was. It, it doesn't look like what you see traditionally when you pick up, um, you know, an issue of successful farming and we're telling you how to scout for it. Right. It looked... Um, little bit shorter and just wider than the traditional plant. And we include in our um, article uh, a picture of what it looks like when it's been mowed off and it's significantly different. So he walked um, all of those acres, hired a crew, and they um, cut down all of those Palmer plants and they bagged them. And all cut it all had to cut them all by hand. Yes, all eight acres. Oh, oh no, all, all 120 acres. Yeah, so wow. the majority of the Palmer was in the, those eight acres, mm. but then he thought, oh, we're safe. It was just in that. Well, what happened is when they were seeding this, the pollinator mix had been seeded before some of the other 120 acres. So they didn't, oh. you know, since it's all just one big uh, CRP area, they didn't clean out the the cedar and so that was mixed throughout the rest of the acres yeah and then mowing probably didn't didn't help with things either and i don't think fortunately he caught it before um you know had gone to seed okay and so he didn't hurt himself there but that's one thing that he mentioned for people who didn't realize that they had it or didn't pull it that could have been a, a real problem for yeah, after, for others this after year. After a couple of years, mm-hmm. it'd be a r- real nightmare. Um, so he he had to go through and cut it all by hand when he fa- once he found out he had it. What um, what should farmers and landowners be doing to keep their just scouting, or should, is there anything else they can they can do to curb the spread of Palmer amaranth, or is it just vigilance right that's a lot of it It is scouting going out there and walking i mean this farmer he planted this in the beginning of may and he was out there mowing and walking this ground significantly throughout the summer and Mm -hmm. he still didn't notice it so you need to 
you know, have an idea of what it looks like and realize that it looks a lot like water hemp. Um, so you just need to really aggressively treat anything that looks like water hemp is, is extensions recommendation. And when you do, you know, see that and you can't, um, kill it with a herbicide, do, do pull it and bag it and don't let it go to seed. Don't let that get spread because then you're in trouble. I mean, on his eight acres, he, he had, um, large, uh, lawn, plastic lawn bags. He filled 20 plus bags, um, with Palmer and those, I think 250 plants total just in the eight acres. And then he pulled another 50 plants throughout the rest of it. And so one thing he did was he let his neighbors know that Mm -hmm. they had issues. And I think that's important is going to be talking to, um, people in your area and letting them know, um, if you unfortunately do have this weed and making sure that they don't and just be aware of maybe who has CRP um, plantings. And if they are um, up next to your field, you share a fence line, just maybe do a little bit extra scouting. Yeah. Um, so one of the, one of the things you said he noticed during the summer was um, he saw, he noticed unusual weeds that he hadn't seen for a while. What was, what's the significance of that? Just the f- Right. Well, that's because uh, this ground, I mean, it had been, corn soybean ground and they were taking it out of production and mm-hmm. putting it into the CRP program. And so he just had a lot of weeds that, um, were starting to come up that hadn't had a chance before. Uh, it was, a it was no till ground. And so he just was dealing with uh, a really old seed bank. Okay. You think you, you, those came in the seed mix from that spring or they were there? They were already there. Okay. Yeah. It, it just took them that long to, to kind of show up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, I know there's a lot more in, in this, um, in this mid-March issue about Palmer Amaranth and I'm hoping to get Gil in here for a future podcast to talk more about it. Cause it's really, it's really a big, big, big issue. And, uh, um, yeah. So yeah, Gil did a really, um, a couple of in-depth stories on Palmer in there. It's it's pretty interesting. It's something you definitely want to get ahead of and stay ahead of. Yeah. All right. So then in the April issue, um, you've got a, a good um, fact or fiction about cover crops and kind of um, debunking some myths, I think, is kind of part of it, but also finding out if some of the some of the advertised benefits of cover crops are actual are actual um benefits in practice. So what was the what was the um kind of the situation behind this, some of the research that went into this? Um so as people are used to cover crops are really gaining in popularity. Mm-hmm. I go to a lot of different meetings and talk to a lot of farmers and everybody wants to learn more about cover crops. But anywhere I go we hear I hear people say Oh, well, is that going to hurt my corn yields or I'm afraid it's going to um, steal uh, water that should be available to my crop? And, oh, I don't know if I want to do it because of this. And so um, with all of that interest, uh, there's a lot more research that's going on in regards to cover crops. And so I reached out to some extension folks, some uh, researchers, scientists to see uh, what the latest research on cover crops really is. And, uh, we just wanted to address some of the, the kind of myths that are Mm -hmm. out there and let people know, um, 
if that's a concern or not. And one thing that I think is great for farmers is that Extension is working to come up with recommendations for farmers. So even if some of those, let's say, myths are um, actually have some some truth behind them, uh, they have recommendations for how farmers can can deal with those. Okay, so you you have uh, several statements, and then determining whether they're fact or fiction. So, um, what are some of the myths about cover crops? Some things that people have wrong. Um, well, one of the things is whether or not um, cover crops are going to uh, steal water okay. from, uh, remove water, and your crop's not going to have access to that. And that's actually not really true because soils can hold an additional one third an inch um, of water than soils that don't have cover crops on really? them. Really? Okay. So. So it's actually your soil can retain even more water if yes. cover crops are done correctly. Yes. That's that I mean we did a whole feature on the on the machinery back when it was called the machinery show uh, on the on the TV show about cover crops and if they're done wrong you can really mm-hmm. really mess up your right mess up your soil mess up your crops for the next next season so I mean, make sure we Right, we state. Yeah, no, if it's done correctly, and then these that's, benefits are. That's really available. true, and that's what extensions trying to work on and come up with recommendations for how you can go in and you can you know plant these, terminate these, and not have it impact your your crop because there absolutely are opportunities to not do things correctly and have it ding yields. What about um, soybean cyst nematodes? Can cover crops host? Yeah, so one of the things that you hear is that, oh, well, I'm worried that cover crops are going to be a host to SCN. And uh, that is actually, um, that's not true. Uh, The research shows that there's virtually uh, no possibility that cover crops uh, will be a host for SCN. And they tested at Iowa State um, a variety of, of different cover crops, and they they feel pretty confident in that. So pressures on soybean are, can be mitigated using cover crops. But what about in corn? Um, I, you mentioned um, winter rye maybe could potentially be a problem in corn. Right. So people are concerned that if you plant winter rye before corn, that it's going to ding yields. And there are a couple of different reasons why that could be. And so when we were uh, working on this article and I was talking to researchers and scientists, um, you know, there are a couple different things and theories that exist for uh, yield loss scenarios. So one could just be poor planter performance uh, because of the extra residue. Others could be um, you have a reduced early season nitrogen availability and others things could be um, water availability, which we also address in this issue. Um, But these researchers at Iowa State wanted to um, look and see if stand loss was uh, caused because of soil-borne pathogens. Okay. And those can cause seedling diseases. So they set up a trial to see if uh, the winter rye then would... uh, have these pathogens that would infect the corn. Okay. 
So the main ones that they were looking at were Pythium and Fusarium. And so Pythium was the culprit that they're most concerned about. And just because after rye, the carpet of residue uh, makes the soils wetter and cooler. And so that in itself favors Pythium over Fusarium. Okay. So uh, they looked at these different um, roots to see if uh, the pathogens could infect the corn plants. And they set up uh, cover crop termination trials to see how they impacted the planting date. Okay. If you terminate that cover crop 10 to 14 days before planting, you're going to minimize that risk and you're not going to have an issue. So really it's a lot more on when that cover crop is terminated and when you you plant. So it's something that you can really something you can avoid if you're if you plan ahead. Yes. Again, what we were kind of what we were saying before about if if cover crops are done right, you can you can really mitigate some of these potential problems as well as um, kind of cash in, so to speak, on the benefits as well. But right. but and knowing when to when to terminate. Yeah, and just as a general rule, when in doubt, um, they've just found when you terminate the cover crop when it's a little bit smaller, and then you wait a little bit um, longer until the soils are warmer, you're really going to reduce the risks of that. So the the risk is that. Um, pathogens right. so can they infect were, both. They were worried that pathogens that can impact the winter rye would then um, potentially have an effect on the corn plants. Mm-hmm. And so just leaving that window there helps your corn plant. Uh, so so the winter rye and corn is, is true, um, but can be mitigated. Mm-hmm. What about soil temperature? So with Soil temperature, it, it is true that your soils can be um, a little bit cooler when you plant a cover crop, but um, what they found is that if you're already in a no-till system and you're just adding cover crops, the temperatures are only going to be slightly cooler uh, than what they they already are. So I, if you're doing tillage, uh, you'll notice a difference, okay. but... Uh, One of the researchers found that when you look at soil temperature at seed depth in a field that's been tilled and has no residue versus no-till field, at night the tilled field gets cooler than no-till. So it's only during the periods of intense solar radiation that there's a temperature difference. Okay. So the the cover crop has a pretty similar effect on the the soil as uh, like a moderate amount of residue would? Okay, that's interesting to know that because I've I've seen some some pictures on social media of of guys side by side field one field with cover crop one field with without and sticking a thermometer in in each field and and pretty significant difference. But I can't remember now if that was a no till if the non cover crop field was a no till or if he had some I can't remember off the top of my head but well and one of the the ways you can handle this is if you're concerned about the soil temperature is um, to clear the residue away from the seed row and that's going to take care of the problem okay all right um, okay so then final the final category of, of some of these facts or fiction are um, whether or not some of the stated benefits of cover crops are actual 
benefits. So um, the suppression of soybean diseases. Um, we kind of talked about soybean cyst nematode, but what about other other soybean diseases? So this is actually, I find uh, one of them that's really interesting, and I'm excited to see more research. But cover crops can, in fact, be used as an additional tool to su- suppress soybean diseases. Okay. So the results can vary, so don't go out there and, you know, cancel some of your orders <laughs> to protect your seed. Don't do that. But um, if you have an area where uh, you know that you want to lower some of the disease levels and you have some root rot problems, you can go ahead and add some cover crops in there to kind of just add another tool to that toolbox. Okay. And then um, what about nitrates what runoff? Is that uh, is that been found to be a, a real benefit that cover crops can reduce? Yeah, so as a fact, cover crops do reduce um, the amount of nitrate losses in tile drainage because um, they're usually grown in a time where we have uh, less vegetation out there um, that's going to be taking, taking them up, and it's a time where we have a lot of water moving through the soil. Okay, great. Um, so all in all, like we've been saying all through this discussion, if, if done correctly, cover crops can, can be very beneficial and a lot of the risks can be managed or mitigated. It's right. And, and that's the main thing I just obviously wouldn't recommend anyone to go, um, buy some random cover crop seed that they don't know anything about, Mm -hmm. throw it out there and then expect there to be no problems. There are definitely... Um, some potential pitfalls. So cover crops can really help farmers to reduce excess nutrients from leaving the field. They increase soil health and then they help um, control erosion. So those are benefits that farmers really can enjoy from having planting cover crops. It's just some of these other things that they want to be aware of. Great. Uh, So where do, what's a good resource to learn more about cover crops to make sure that they can find out they're doing it correctly. Yeah, I would um, maybe get in touch with your local extension, Mm -hmm. see if they have research available for your area and have recommendations for you. Find out somebody nearby that maybe tried it and what what they've found to be pitfalls and and what's worked and what hasn't. A lot of times there are farmers who have been using these cover crops for uh, 20 up to 30 years and they have a lot of experience and I have noticed they really like to share that knowledge with Mm -hmm. other farmers who are interested in getting started. Earthworms. Right before we started, you were talking about earthworms um, or night crawlers. What was the the statistics on that? So an Iowa Learning Farms study showed that cover crops increase night crawler populations by 38%. Versus strips that don't have cover crops. Okay. So, and that, of course, helps with compaction and... Overall, I think it just shows that it helps the biology of the soil. You have healthier healthier soil. Healthier soil. Okay. Um, And then, of course, all the other benefits of cover, like the, the, uh, what is it, the radishes can really... They They have the long taproot. Yeah, the taproots that really break up the compaction. compaction. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So... um, what 
stories are you working on for future issues that we can look forward to reading in Successful Farming? Yeah, I have a, a fun feature coming out in the May issue on uh, this kind of the state of conservation and mm-hmm. erosion control and what farmers can do to get ahead of uh, soil loss. Okay. So what are what are some of the insights, spoilers you can give us? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you um, a couple of them. Uh, one thing that they can do is reduce tillage. Okay. And another is to plant cover crops. It's really a one-two punch yeah. there. Okay. All right. So we'll look forward to reading that uh, article in the May issue, right? May? Yep. In the May issue, okay. it's actually going to be called... Uh, Beauty and the Beast. So keep your eyes open for that. Okay. (laughs) We'll look for that. Well, thanks for coming in and and chatting with me today. And and, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Jason. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. I appreciate Casey Birchmeyer coming in and speaking with me for a little bit about some of the topics she covers for the magazine and for the website, agriculture.com. Once again, if you have any comments or questions about this show or suggestions about future guests or topics, make sure you reach out. You send us an email, podcast at agriculture.com. You can go to the website to hear more uh, to hear more episodes and to get more information about this episode by going to agriculture.com slash podcast. And make sure you follow me on Twitter at Jason Meeker. And you can follow Casey on Twitter at... Casey Birchmeyer, and that's K-A-C-E-Y-B-I-R-C-H-M-I-E-R, at Casey Birchmeyer on Twitter. You can also find a link to that in the show notes at agriculture.com slash podcast for today's episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on another episode.